Israel, isn't he? And, you know, there, I think you can boil the Christmas message, perhaps even the entire New Testament message, down into four words. The four most critical words at Christmas. And you find them in the Gospel of John. And so I want you to turn to John chapter 1 with me. John chapter 1. And I want us to see those four critical words this morning. We're continuing a series out of the New Testament, looking at Jesus from four different angles. The Gospels are these beautiful, historical, uh, personal accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus. And they each have a unique angle on Jesus. We get this this. 3D image of who Jesus is. And we've already looked at Matthew's view and how he just uh, showed that Jesus was the Messiah, the prophesied Messiah, and how he fulfilled all of those, those different prophecies. And he was the son of David through Joseph. And, and it was a great testament to the fact also that he was, a, he was fully man and he was a wonderful counselor. And then we saw in the Gospel of Mark last week that he fills out that title out of Isaiah. He is truly the mighty God. And how Mark in his gospel pulls around him those of you who are active and those of you who are, are looking for that, that proof of his authority. And he, and he showed us that Jesus could cure illnesses, cast out demons, calm the sea. He surely is the mighty God. And now we come to the gospel of John. We're gonna save Luke for next week, but we're gonna come to the gospel of John and, and John is so deep. He goes from a totally different aspect to give us the full view of who Jesus is. So we're looking at the four gospels, but we're also looking at the four names of Jesus out of Isaiah chapter nine, verse six. So let's just refresh that verse in our mind. This is a prophecy 700 years before Jesus came. And this prophet Isaiah said, for to us, a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Now, children are born all the time, sons are given. Sometimes the government goes upon people's shoulders. Now, that's okay, but, but do we ever uh, call a human king, just one of us, by these names? And his name shall be called, let's say it together, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. So we're looking at that title, everlasting father. And the gospel of John unfolds this truth in a majestic way, but in a very clear and simple way. It's pretty marvelous in what it says. But it describes that third name. If you go into the Hebrew, that everlasting father could be translated the source of eternity, the father of that which is eternal. And to say that about a man who lived physically, literally on planet earth, who was born physically from a mother, who was placed in a stable, in a manger, who was raised as a uh, a, a carpenter and a builder in a small town in backwoods Galilee named Nazareth. To say he is the eternal father, the source of eternity, is a huge statement. 
and we want to see it unfold. Just, just follow along. Let John the Apostle, the Holy Spirit through him, tell you who Jesus is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what, church? Children of God. He gave that right. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And here it is. Here's those four words. And the word became flesh. The word became flesh. And dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through who? Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Let me pray for us. Father, as we walk through this text, we're walking through and on holy ground. God, help us know the true and living Savior. The true and only God became flesh. Help us, God, just set aside externalities, Christmas, and focus on the central figure of Christmas, the central truth that the Word became flesh. Open our eyes that we may see and our ears that we may hear so that we may worship. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, I, in the first service, I told him not to tell my wife, but I can't tell you that because my wife's sitting in this service, but I'm doing something very brave. I went to our manger set this morning and I stole baby Jesus. Now, this is her favorite, and I'm, I'm, I'm holding on very tightly, Miss Sarah, there, and I have got baby Jesus firmly in my grip, but I wanted to. I wanted to take him out of his manger scene. How many of you like setting up the manger scene? Isn't that fun? I mean, I, I love doing that as a kid. I don't like decorating the tree or the yard or the house. I really don't get into wrapping presents. I mean, I do it, but I don't really. But it's kind of fun. There was a box that my mom and dad had, and growing up, we had the same little manger seat, manger scene. And I would get in there, and I used to love setting that thing up because it had the 
the you know the wise men who weren't really there but they were there in the manger scene it had the the shepherds and it had uh, camels and cows and sheep and the little manger itself and the little hut or stable but then you had to dig around because what's who's the, the what's the smallest figurine in the box jesus and so finally i'd dig around and i'd find jesus He's the smallest. He's the smallest figure on this. Uh, this was Sarah's mother's, and it goes back a long time. And so I take it out at my own risk. But what I have done today is exactly what John the Apostle did. John reached into the Christmas story and he took out the central figure. He took Jesus out of the externalities. He doesn't talk about the wise men. He doesn't talk about the angels. He doesn't talk about the shepherds. John doesn't talk about the, um, the flight to Egypt. He doesn't talk about Joseph, and he doesn't talk about Mary. All of those figures and all of those stories are critically important. They're wonderful stories. They give us the 3D image of the birth, but John just comes to basically say, you can't do Christmas without Jesus. You can do Christmas without the wise men. You can do Christmas without presents and Christmas trees and lights and jingle bells. But you can't do Christmas without Jesus. And so he reaches in and he pulls Jesus out of the Christmas story and he says, I want you to know the truth. I want you to know who Jesus is. So let me carefully put him back in my pocket here. I want you to know who he really is because here's what we do here's what you and i can do is i think a lot of cultural christians and there's still a good bit of cultural christianity in our nation there are people who just grew up with christmas trees and grew up with manger sets but jesus for them is just that sentimental figurine he's just someone that they think about once or twice a year and here's what they do with jesus after christmas is done they take jesus and they put him back in the box and we cannot take Jesus and put him back in the box. He's not just a sentimental figure that we worship at Christmas and Easter. He is the Lord of the universe. He is the Word made flesh. And we need to focus in on the identity of Jesus. And that's what John, he just, he just goes right to the heart of the matter. And he goes to the manger and then he goes way, way, way back into eternity past and he says i am going to declare to you who jesus is and when you understand who jesus is you'll understand you can't put him in a box you can't put him in a box all you can do when you truly understand who jesus is is fall on your knees and worship fall on your knees and worship I want, you'll understand this better, chapter 1, when you look at chapter 20, because in chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, John gives his, his purpose for writing this book. And this is the, the, the Holy Spirit's directing the same purpose, purpose Matthew, Mark, and Luke had. But I want you to see, John says very clearly. He says in verse 30 of chapter 20, Now Jesus did many other things in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe. Believe what? That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life. 
In other words, if you don't believe in Jesus, you don't have life. And John says, I need you to know who Jesus is because you've got to believe that, know who he is in order to have life. And you say, well, I have life. I'm walking around, I'm breathing, I'm, I'm, my eyes work, I'm hearing, I'm alive, my brain's functioning. He says, you don't have eternal life. You don't have the kind of life only God can give you. You don't have spiritual life. Listen to what Jesus says his purpose is before we kind of uh, dissect his nature a little bit, look at the nature of Christ. He's praying in John chapter 17. John chapter 17, he's praying to the Father and listen to what Jesus says. It gives you an idea of his purpose and what he's come to offer you. Jesus had spoken these words and he lifted up his eyes to heaven and here he's praying. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son through, what he's talking about is through the crucifixion, resurrection, glorify your son so that the son may glorify you. Jesus' ultimate mission was to bring glory to the Father. And the way that he was gonna bring glory to the Father, he still is bringing glory to the Father, that he wants to bring glory to the Father through your life is this. Since you have given me authority over all flesh to give what kind of life, church? Eternal life to all whom you have given him. In other words, he says, God, you know who is gonna trust you and you know who's gonna receive me in your great sovereignty and your great providence. You know, and foreknowledge, you know all of this. I have come to offer eternal life to people who don't have it so that I can glorify you. But then he says something remarkable in verse three. Look at this. He says, and this is eternal life. What is eternal life? Eternal life is this, that you, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now, I, I don't know if you see this, but I see it fairly clearly. We better know who baby Jesus is because it is in our knowledge of who he is and our belief in who he is that we find eternal life. And without that knowledge, without that faith, without trusting in that, we can have all the Christmas trees, all the presents, sing all the carols, have all the Christmas celebrations. If we don't know who Jesus is and trust in that, we do not have eternal life. We have a limited life that is in darkness and then we have a life after that separated from God. And so he comes to give us eternal life. People have mangers and miss the meaning. People open all the gifts at Christmas and miss the only gift that can save. With Jesus in their mangers that in a lot of places, in a lot of homes, the Jesus in the manger set is actually an imposter. It is a kind of Jesus they've replaced the real Jesus with. It's a Jesus that fits their lives. It's a Jesus that kind of obeys their rules. It's a Jesus they can manage. It's a Jesus they can pull out when they want it and when they want to and then put him back in the box. And he doesn't bother them the rest of the year. And so we've got this issue. And so we need to take Jesus out of the manger for a moment this morning and let John tell us who he is. Here's who he is. Let's answer that first question. Verse one, as we see later on in this chapter, John says very clearly that Jesus Christ, the man Jesus Christ was in his pre-existence before he was born in a manger, he was the word. 
the word. He calls them the logos. Now, this was a word that would have rung very true to the Hebrew ears because God's word is synonymous with God. When God spoke, things happened. How did God create the earth? He said, let there be light. He spoke existence into existence, the universe into existence. And so the Hebrews had a a concept of God connected to his word. The Gentiles and the Greeks had this idea of logos. What it meant for them was the one unifying reasoning force that makes sense of the whole universe. It makes everything work. It is the, that one great unified theory, if you're into all of that. Uh, that's who they kind of looked that, that made sense and aligned everything. And John is appealing to the Hebrews and he's appealing to the Greeks and he's appealing to you. He's coming, he says, when you get back beyond time, you get back to the origin of everything, to the one cause that isn't caused, that's who Jesus is. He's the Logos. And then he describes this Logos, this word, in incomprehensible terms, terms that would just blow you away. It's incredible. He says, that word was in the beginning. In the beginning was the word. If you look at that phrase with me just for a moment, uh, the depth of that meaning is really discovered when you, you parse out the Greek behind it. Because there are several different words you can use for was that really in different tenses of the Greek and the word beginning. You can look at these words and the word for was, the tense of that word is in the imperfect tense. You say, well, that really doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter to you. Because in the imperfect tense, it means that he was continually being in existence before anything began. Now, that's a big thought, but it's an incredible thought. It says later on in this text that the Logos, or Jesus, God the Son, he had life in and of himself. He just was. He was, if you translate it out maybe to where we could understand it better, it says, before there was a beginning, the word had been. That's what it means. In the beginning was the word. In other words, Jesus was pre-existent. He was pre-existent. But then there's a second phrase that just blows my mind. You say, well, that's, that makes him God. Absolutely, it makes him God. He's the source of all things. Then there's a concept that just blows us away when he says this. And the Logos, or the Word, who was pre-existent, who lived forever before anything started, who is the uncaused cause, that Word was with God. Now I'm really confused. I thought he was God. He is God. How can he be with God if he is God? Because God is one God in three persons. What do we call that, church? We call it the Trinity. And if you have a hard time understanding that, join the club. I'm right there with you. But God reveals himself in the text of Scripture over and over again in this remarkable way. He's eternal, but he is also personal, relational. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit all are co-eternal. They have always existed in this unified relationship, one God, three persons. It's hard for our minds to kind of get around that, isn't it? I've always kind of told folks, I'm, I'm glad I don't fully understand God 
that would make me God, and you wouldn't like that. Uh, he's the, he is outside of time, space, and existence, and the story of Christmas is that that word that's preexistent, coexistent with God, has eternally related. That word broke in to space, time, and existence and became flesh. It's a remarkable, life-altering statement. It sets apart true Christianity from all other faiths and all types of Christianity that would reduce Jesus in to something, an imposter, not the true son of the living God. True Jesus. When you say Jesus, when you look at that baby in the manger, what John is telling you is that that baby at one time that baby is fully human, but at the same time, he's full deity. He was in the beginning. He was in the beginning with God. And look at this next statement. And the word was God. How clear is that, church? Now, let me just turn a corner just for a second tell you why this is an important thing to know and believe because there are just there are wonderful people around our our world and our community they may be living right beside of you who would insert one letter into that phrase that final phrase and produce an imposter an imposter there are take for instance the Jehovah's Witnesses and here's what they would say they've actually changed the Greek they've changed the wording in this verse to fit their theology they do not believe Jesus is God they believe he was a God they stuck an A in there it doesn't belong there it's there in the old Greek manuscripts no A he was not a God they would take Jesus and he created by God. Jesus isn't a creation of God, according to John the Apostle. Take our Mormon neighbors, wonderful people, but Joseph Smith put forth a, a lie, and, and it was the, this idea. Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, taught very clearly that Father, Son, and Spirit weren't one God in three persons. They were three separate gods. And then he went on to teach a doctrine that they still hold to that those three gods are just uh, three of an infinite number of gods that go back into infinite time and have fleshed that out to even take it to the, to the idea that those particular gods, the, the God that, and see what's interesting is a Mormon would say, I'm a monotheist. We worship only one God, but what they don't tell you, and maybe some of them don't even really realize is that Jesus, is that Joseph Smith made it very clear, the one God they worship monotheistically is one of an infinite number of gods in an infinite universe. That's not what the New Testament teaches. John clearly teaches there's one self-existent God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And, and God the Son, the Word, became flesh. Look what it says about the Word. It says, and the world 
was made through him. John declares that the Logos was the creator. He created everything. Now, the author of Hebrews, the apostle Paul, and others say the same thing about Jesus. And so you need to just kind of think through this really quickly. Hebrews chapter 1, hang on with me. I know this is, this, is, this is a lot of stuff, but I want you to see it. In Hebrews chapter 1, this is God the Father looking at God the Son face to face, and he is saying of Jesus these words. Hebrews 1.10. God the Father said to God, Son, you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same. Your years will have no end. Paul the apostle said of Jesus, the word made flesh, said, for by him... All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Do you see how clear it is? This is remarkable when you think about who John the apostle is. I don't have many cousins. I, well, I do. I guess I have more than... A few. I got a few cousins. How many of y'all have some cousins? How many of your cousins? Oh, I got some great cousins, but none of them, none of them, at this point in my life, would I look at them and say they are God in the flesh. Jesus most likely was a cousin of John, the apostle. John is now advancing in age. He's been apostle. He's been persecuted. He's, he's faced uh, abandonment and struggles. He has seen some of his fellow apostles martyred. He, is, he has been through all of these things. He is, is about to be cast onto the Isle of Patmos. John has gone through all of this, and yet he still writes, the Logos was Jesus. Jesus was God in the flesh. John was the apostle who was closest to Jesus, best friends with Jesus. And I put my hand here because it, it speaks of him as the one who would lay and lean on his breast. And, and he just loved to be close to Jesus. And yet all of these years later, he is insisting that if you want eternal life, you must believe Jesus was God in the flesh. And then, then God uh, does something amazing through John when he writes the rest of his gospel he does something unique. And if you were a Jew reading this, you would have picked this. He gives seven key miracles to authenticate seven key statements. Let me tell you what these statements were in the Gospel of John. They all started with this word, these two words. I am. Ego eimi. I am. Now, if you've been around church for a while and you know some of the Old Testament stories, you know that when Moses looked at the burning bush and wanted to know the name of the God that was speaking to him, the one and only true God said, Moses, here's how you can refer to me. My name is I am. I just am. I am who I am. I will always be who I am. It's just this verb of being. 
And Jesus used that, uses that time after time in his ministry. And John focuses, when he's talking about Jesus, he pulls out all of these times that Jesus said these incredible things. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the true vine. Seven key I am statements. And what's interesting is there are seven key significant miracles to authenticate the seven key statements. He turned water into Wine. He healed the nobleman's son. He went by and healed a man who had been by, uh, laying by the pool, waiting for the healing waters to heal him. And he healed that man who had had a lifetime of, of, of handi being handicapped. He fed 5,000. He gave sight to the man born blind. He raised Lazarus from the dead and the great catch of fish when he sent his disciples to go fishing. Seven key authenticating miracles. You say, why would you mention that, Pastor? Because the number seven just shouted to the Hebrew people, uh, God, because that is God's number. It was the divine number. And so he begins his gospel saying, Jesus is God. Now watch. He says it seven times saying, I am God. I am God. I am the life. And then he authenticates it with these seven key miracles. The whole gospel wants you to believe that about baby Jesus. He wants you to believe that because it is when you call upon that name, the name of Jesus, and leave in your heart that, that he is, and he raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And I'm just preaching it as passionately as I can and so that you don't put Jesus back in the box. And you don't put an imposter in your manger set. Why did he come? That's who he is. John goes on to say, here's my king. Real look at this next passage, verse five. He came because we were in darkness. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not comprehended it or overcome it. Then you watch the different translations battle with that Greek word. It means both things, meaning that the darkness doesn't conquer light. You light a match, the light conquers the darkness. It also means that the darkness could not master it, could not quite comprehend it well. And that's true with the world. And so Jesus comes into the world and he penetrates the darkness, but the darkness does not often understand it. He came to bring us truth and light to a dark world. And then it, he also came to start a brand new family a brand new family watch what he says in verse um verse 10 join me there he was in the world and the world was made through him yet the world did not know him he came to his own and his own people did not receive but to all who did receive him or will receive him who believed in his name he gave the right to become what children of god he came to start a new family, a new people, a spiritual people. Now watch this. Are you hearing some words that sound familiar in verse one? 
in the beginning. You probably remember the book of Genesis. You know that story very well. Lots of folks know what the very first verse of the Bible is. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it was good. And at the end of that creation story, at the beginning of the Bible, we have a great creation, we have light, and we have God's people, Adam and Eve. What John is telling us, what the Gospels are telling us, we got to see it is in Christ, God is making a new creation. He is coming and he brings light. Remember the word he, what was the first thing he created in Genesis? The spirit was hovering above the deep and it was dark and void and it was chaotic. And God said, let there be light. The Logos, the Word, and there was light. And here John is comparing. I mean, it's just amazing, an astounding statement to say about an, a fully human man who lived 33 years, died on a cross, and had a, lived in a small area of the world. He is saying that that is the Creator. And when Jesus came, it was God entering into a chaotic, dark uh, world that was coming void and without form and he came in to bring new light and start a new creation and to start a new people and here's how here's what he did he said to Nicodemus in the next couple chapters he said Nicodemus to be a part of that new people you've got to believe in me and when you believe in me here's what happens you are born what again Nicodemus really struggled with that. He's like, you know, he's a Jewish ruler. He knew the Bible. He said, you mean I got to go back to my mother's womb? How's that? How can I be? He says, this is not a, it's not a physical family I'm talking about. You've got to be spiritually reborn. Jesus came to do a new creation. In the book of Revelation, he says, behold, I'm making all things new. The question is, do you want to be a part of that family? Do you want to be a part of that family? If you are, and you're ready, he gives this gift to those who will believe. He gives the gift of eternal life. Can I describe eternal life real quickly for you? It's not just quantity. Quantity is not really that exciting. If, if life... Uh, on the, at the rate I'm decaying, I don't live forever. <laughs> oh, I, it's one of the things to be around people as they, good, I mean, Christians who are ending life and have lived a long time, and I've had several of them over the years, lots of folks, and at the end of their physical life, look at me and go, you know, I just wish the Lord would take me. I just wish I'd go on. They don't want to live forever like that. It's not quantity of life. It's quality. It's quantity and quality. He came to give us a new life, a new body through a resurrection, a new home, a new heaven, and a new earth. That is who this Jesus is. How should you respond? Well, in this passage, John mentions two responses. He said he came to his own. His own did not receive him. They rejected him. 
But he said, there are those who will receive him, who will know him and receive him. And to those who receive him, he will give the right to become children of God. Will you receive him? Do you believe? Do you believe the gospel? Do you believe this understanding of who Jesus is? John chapter three, I close with this. For God so loved the world, this is Jesus talking. For God so loved the world that he gave his only what? Gave his only son. And here's the promise that what? That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have what kind of life? Quality and quantity with your creator. That's what he wants for you, church. That's what Christmas is all about. Verse 17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. In order that we might be saved through him. Sometimes I use that word saved, and I see people's eyes kind of roll that have been in church a long time, and then I, I, I see sometimes people will say that's just a too churchy of a word but it came right out of the the lips of the logos the word of god made flesh said that he came to save to save we need saving out of the darkness out of our death we need saving and jesus came and he is saying uh, the, you must trust me and trust what i say about myself and place your trust and belief in me and i will save you you become a child of god that's how you ought to respond have you responded to that invitation from the god of the universe do you believe jesus is god made flesh let's pray together Father, the scripture is so clear and I just pray that it's penetrated our hearts and our minds and given us a clear understanding of that baby in a manger, of that Jewish rabbi who went to a cross, who resurrected from the dead and offers the entire world eternal life if they'll only believe and trust and surrender. Father, help us to worship and adore as we sang today, to know who you are and to adore you in that way, to worship you for who you are. 